All right, I'm going to read some verses this morning that I want you just to listen to and, and imagine, first of all, I've got two things I want you to use your imagination. One is Jeremiah and what he is seeing and how he's feeling about what he's seeing. That's what we're going to see here. As, he, as the whole nation, uh, southern kingdom of Israel, is being taken off into exile, he's literally watching the temple be destroyed, the palace is being destroyed, and people literally, like you would see in an old movie, being chained up one after another in a long ch- line of people being marched off into Babylon. But I also want you to think as you're listening to this, have you ever felt some of this yourself? It is okay for you to say, you know what, I, I felt that. Now, he's going to use language that might be... Um, extreme to us, but it might be something that you'll hear and go, whoa, yeah, I've kind of felt like that. I might be kind of feeling like that right now. I might have felt like that when I went through some hard things. But listen to the emotion of it and be okay with connecting with some of the emotion of it with how you might be feeling or how you have felt in the past. So I'm going to read it slowly so that we can hear the emotion of it and see some of what he's saying and go, yeah, I kind of... I wouldn't have said it like that, but I've kind of felt it like that. Here's what he says. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. Verse 9, Lamentations 3. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me. You ever felt like that? Like a bear, whatever you're going through, it's like a bear just lying in wait, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove it into my kidneys, the arrows of his quiver. I've become the laughingstock of all peoples, the objects of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness, and he sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is, so I say my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down with me. And if I were just to say amen and send you out, (laughs) I'd be a terrible pastor, (laughs) okay? But I want to be a real pastor and say, what I just read there, I have known people who would say that. I have said it at portions of it. And some of you have been in such 
deep, dark, hard places in your life, stuff that I haven't even heard and know, but some of you have been there that you have felt like this, like, like you've been torn to pieces, like he made you desolate, like he's not hearing your prayers. We were talking in our preaching meeting, like have you ever felt like somebody just stuck you in the kidneys with arrows <laughs> and that people are laughing at you and taunting you? that you've been walled in, that, that there's bitterness and tribulation, that's all that you see, you're in such a dark spot. We know, and we have experienced, and we have seen it, that we can get to these kinds of dark, dark places. And the prophet has good reason to be in this dark, dark place, right? His whole country, his whole understanding, his whole worldview has just collapsed. Now, he knew it was coming, and he was warning them, but now he's watching it. And, and I've just been around enough to know that in the church, amongst God's people, in the real world, we struggle and we have felt like this at points. Parts of these things, if you haven't, you will at some place in your journey. Hard, hard things happen on this side of heaven. And what do we do with all that becomes the question. The question today that I want us to wrestle with is not that we should. Here's what will happen sometimes in the church. We'll say we shouldn't have these kinds of emotions. But the Bible shows us that we do have these kinds of emotions. So the question becomes, what do I do when I'm having these kinds of emotions? You know, I grew up in a good, stoic, Scandinavian, Minnesota family. You know, when I started hugging my dad when I was an adult, he'd be like, my kids are hugging me, man. What's going on here? Because <laughs> we didn't get a lot of hugs when we were kids, right? That's just not the way it was. And so emotion and, and being able to say something is really, really, really hard right now wasn't something that was really part of the vocabulary. And even in the culture that we live in today, it still is a hard thing to be able to say, I'm in really, really dark place and I need help. And the beauty is, God doesn't say, no, you shouldn't be in that dark place. God says, we sometimes get to those dark places. Listen, listen to this. This is a, a, an inspired prophet of God who is saying these things. In the midst of the suffering and the reality of what he's experiencing, he's speaking honestly and real. And it's a little overwhelming when you go back and Go through it slow when you think of everything he says. My flesh and my skin waste. My bones feel broken. You know, there's darkness like the dead of long ago. I'm walled in. I cry for help and I just feel like nobody's listening, including God. And he just goes on and on and on. And so what I want to do this morning is, is to say that in the real world, we feel these kinds of things. And actually, we should feel these kinds of things because some things are worth lamenting, okay? Um, I'm sorry that I often use personal examples, but that's just what's on my mind when I'm, when I'm preparing and working on things. Since Christmas Day, there have been three people from my growing up years and from my youth back home who've passed away. One guy my age, one guy younger than me, one guy a little older than me. And I, I don't sit there and go, well you know what, life is hard, and one was a tragic accident, one was unexpected, one had been uh, dealing with cancer. I've been kind of going this week like, whoa, that's a lot since Christmas. 
you know, I, I'm not sure what to make of this. You know, we're, we weren't close anymore because the years had taken us away, but our families were all intertwined and we were close and a lot of ways that it, you know, connects and takes you back to your childhood and thinking about those relationships and those friendships. And we should at times go, that, that's not, this side of heaven, that's not something to rejoice in. I know they're all believers, but it's still the brokenness of the world that has led a man to fall off a roof on Christmas Day and die. A man who just retired from teaching for 40 years all of a sudden dies quickly. And another young guy battling with cancer. And your mind goes, well, are there things worth lamenting about? And the answer, according to the scripture, is yes. There are things worth lamenting about. And they are the things that are contrary to God's original design. And death and suffering and being taken off into exile and the people's rebellion towards God. All of those things that are part of this story were not part of God's original design. Sin came into the world and marred all of that. But in the context of all of that, in the context of what I just read, that heavy, deep, just gut-wrenching emotion, then this is what Jeremiah says. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. In the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the stress, in the midst of the chaos... Now listen, because I'm going to take these next three verses and go slowly through them and show you how Jeremiah does this. The first thing he does is, I remember. I am in shock by seeing what I see, but I'm going to stop and try to regroup and remember. And he's thinking, I'm remembering and I call it to mind. This I call to mind. This I remember when I see my whole nation being marched off, and I soon too will be marched off into exile, he's saying. I'm going to be in chains too. And I'm watching all of this, but this I remember. And what he remembers and what he calls to mind gives him hope. So this is what he says. What I call it to mind, I remember, and therefore I have some hope. In the midst of the suffering and the chaos and the struggle and the darkness and the depth of that despair, he goes, I recall something, and that recall brings me hope, and here's what I remember. And this is beautiful if you can stay with me today as I, as I take this apart. This is what I remember. The first thing he says I remember is the steadfast. And I'm going to take this little phrase by phrase. He remembers that God is steadfast. Steadfast simply means firm and unwavering. And what he's going to remember, what he's going to call to mind in the midst of the depth of the darkness of the struggle and suffering and what he's feeling. Remember, he's feeling like somebody has jabbed him into the kidneys with a bow he, 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 he believes that all of his bones are broken. That's how much despair. And then he recalls that God is steadfast, that God is firm and unwavering. And what does he recall of his steadfastness is the steadfast love. In the midst of what he's seeing, he's going to recall and remember that God is steadfast, unwavering, and firm in his love. Listen to what Psalm 107:43 says. Now, Jeremiah knows this because he's able to look back. Even the psalmist wrote these things. David wrote these things, and Jeremiah would have access to these things. And this is what the psalmist wrote. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. He's saying wisdom is to, to remember the steadfast love of the Lord. So in Jeremiah says, this is what I recall. I recall that somebody like the psalmist said that God's love was steadfast. And 
Jeremiah, being a prophet who heard from God and actually spoke the words of God, was reminded that he is steadfast and that God's love is steadfast, unwavering, and firm. If you don't remember anything else that I say today, I pray that you'll leave with that today, that you will remember that his love is unwavering and firm. It will not change. And so Jeremiah says, what I remember, and this gives me hope, is that there's steadfastness in God's love. Now, here's the thing, and here's why this is so important, and I really hope you're staying with me this morning, um, because I know sometimes I can get boring and get off on tangents and all that, but this is important, okay? So be with me. Why is his love steadfast? Because he is love. Listen to 1 John 4, 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Love is not something he does. Love is something we do. So we're used to thinking it like that. Love is not something he does. Love is what he is. It's in his DNA, if you would. And remember, he doesn't have DNA because he's not a body like we are. But if we can use that analogy, that picture, it's in his makeup. It's in his character. It's his attributes. It's in his DNA. His love is steadfast because it's who he is. It cannot change. Because it's not just something like a whim like you and I have. Oh, I love this. And I love. You know, we use love all the time, right? We love chocolate. And we love coffee. And we love the Vikings. And we love the Packers. Well, I don't love the Packers, but other people love the Packers. We use love like that all the time. But God is love. And so what Jeremiah is recalling is the steadfastness of God's love, that it is firm and that it is unchanging because it is part of who God is. It is his nature. And the next part is he's remembering the steadfast love of what? The Lord. So all of this matters. It's just a little bit at a time, a little chunk at a time. He's recalling the steadfastness of the love, because it's who he is, of the Lord. It is the Lord God Almighty who is steadfast in love. And why is he steadfast? Not only because it is who he is, but because he's eternal and he's unchanging. And so Jeremiah knows that his love will never cease and never change. So he's putting all that together about who he knows God to be and that God is steadfast and firm in his love. He's steadfast and firm in his character. God is eternal, so he's been this all eternity past and he will be this all eternity future. And because of understanding and knowing all of who God is, then he can say, the steadfast love of the Lord, that's what's bringing me hope. That's what I'm remembering. Now, you might be tempted right now to say, hold on, Pastor. Of course his love changes. It certainly must change when I don't do what is right. It certainly must change when I'm disobedient to him. It certainly changes when I doubt It certainly changes when I call into question his goodness and his integrity. Or at least, least, Pastor, acknowledge that his actions change. His actions change. Maybe, Maybe his character doesn't change, but his actions change towards me based on what I do. If I lament, his actions towards me might be different. This is really important. All of his actions towards us are love. His actions towards us are all love. Even judgment and discipline come through who God is and who love, who God is in love. It is always through the love of God, always through the character and the nature of God. So when judgment and discipline come, like it's coming 
to Israel in Lamentations, it is still because of God's love. It is still through that. So his actions and his character all demonstrate his love to us. He is steadfast and he is loving and faithful to his covenant promises. When God makes promises, when God makes covenants, when God says he's going to do something, God does it. And then Jeremiah says that, this, because of that, because this comes to mind and I have hope, because the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases because of who he is, he's eternal, his mercies never come to an end. If he's been merciful in the past, he will be merciful now and he will be merciful in the future because he is the God of mercy. And so it doesn't come to an end. It doesn't come to an end when you get hauled off into exile doesn't come to an end when you and I face the deep, deep bitterness and the deep, deep sorrow that sometimes we go through in life. And Jeremiah does this very important thing. In the midst of all of that, he says, this I remember, this comes to mind, this gives me hope that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases and that his mercies never come to an end. His mercies will always continue. And it's not based on my performance It's not based on how well I do. It's not based on how much faith I have. It's based on the fact that he is a God of mercy that never changes. And he is a God of love that never changes. And so he says this in 23, they are new every morning. These mercies that I need because I'm a a person who needs mercy all the time. The, The mercies that we need, Jeremiah says, we get that, the mercies that we need to get through the first 21 verses that I just read are abundant and overflowing, and we need them every day. So they are new every morning, and I can count on his faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness, it says. So picture it again. Now I'm going to recount it one more time. He's saying, I'm seeing all of this, verses 1 through 21, and then he's saying, this I call to mind, I remember, and this gives me hope, And what I remember is that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases and his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning and every morning when I get them, I can say great is your faithfulness because I have the mercies I need to get through this day. And he was going through some pretty bad days coming up. And he was saying, this I call to mind and I'm going to trust that you're going to be faithful and that your mercies will be new each morning and you will be faithful to get me through that day and you'll be faithful to give me the mercies I need and when I'm standing right on that edge looking over, you're going to be there to give me the mercies I need to back away. You're going to give me the mercies I need to get through the things that I'm going through. And they're going to be new every morning. And every morning he's going to say, I got plenty for you today. I got plenty of grace and mercy and love to pour out on you. I have it in abundance. And then he says this. This is Jeremiah now in all this. He says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Now, portion, we've been, we were talking about this at our pastor's meeting. How do we explain portion? It's not a word we use a lot. And even the, the alternative doesn't help us a ton. So I'm going to ask and pray that the Holy Spirit will help you kind of grasp it, but he's saying, what the Lord, Lord is my inheritance. What we get from God through all of this is God himself. 
That's what he's saying. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. The inheritance, what I really need is God himself. To know him and to be at peace with him and to be called his people and, and to be content with knowing and experiencing God alone. To know God's faithfulness and to know and experience his love and forgiveness and to know that he is good. Often what we want is relief from the circumstances. We want relief from the first 21 verses of Lamentations 3. But God is saying, what I really want to offer you is myself. And I think that's really hard for us. I think that's really hard for us in our culture to say, that's enough, but I, but I want things. I, 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 I want to be married. I want to have kids. I, I, I want to have a good job. I want to have plenty. I don't want my car to break down. I don't want the, the things that happen in life. I don't want to ever be behind on my mortgage and have to declare bankruptcy. I don't want all of these things are, are what we want. And God's saying, what I have for you is me, the God of the universe. And, and I'm offering that you could know me, and I'm offering to give you the peace of having a relationship with me, and I'm offering to give you the contentment that comes from knowing me, and I'm offering you the forgiveness that you can have by knowing me, and I'm offering you the opportunity to, to live under my reign and know that what I have for you is good and right, and I'm offering you myself. And that's what he offered Israel. But Israel was chasing after all these other things. And because of all that, because the Lord is my portion, therefore I'll have hope, he says. He knows that the Lord is good. And he knows that that's where he'll find hope. And that's where all of his hopes and dreams will be fulfilled is in knowing the Lord. I just think that's really hard for us to get our minds around. It's hard for me to even try to explain it. But that's where he's looking for his hope in the midst of the darkness of Verses 1 through 21, and by the way, you should read Lamentations 1 and 2, and you can see just how dark it all was, that he, the things he was seeing. And this is where he's going to find hope. And then he says this in verse 25. The Lord is, now picture where, where he's at. Now, don't forget to use your imagination, what he's observing. And then he says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. We see it there again. The Lord is good. And what he's saying is the Lord is good. Wait for him. Sometimes it doesn't feel like the Lord is good. And sometimes we have to wait in the midst of trial and struggle, pain and suffering. But the Lord is good to those who wait, to the soul who seeks him. The soul who seeks him. Remember last week in Jeremiah, we t I guess it was two weeks ago, we talked about if you seek me, you'll find me. If you seek me, you'll find... I guess it was last week. I was just over at Lincoln Park, so I forgot where I was. Last week, we talked about that. If you seek me, you'll find me. God says, I'm... Remember, I used, the, I used Taylor and Mark's uh, story about Solomon, where uh, Taylor would play hide-and-seek with him, and Solomon would say, Mom, I'm going to hide over here <laughs> so you can find me, <laughs> and then we can keep playing. That's how God is. I'm right over here. I'm not hiding from you. If you'll seek me, you'll find me. He says, the Lord is good for those who wait on him and to the soul who seeks him. But now here's the thing, and here's where this, we were going to end uh, as we talk about what passages to preach and how long to preach it. We were going to preach through 24 and 25, 
But then we start talking about it as a, as a preaching team, and we're like, but then he goes into being back in the real world and helps us kind of see how this works. And so this is what the rest of this is going to be him coming back into the real world. He's having these verses 21 through 24 moments, and now he says this in 25, and he says, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. He's showing us how to do it. And he says, now wait patiently for the salvation of the Lord. He's not going to see it. In fact, he's going to tell him in 70 years, the salvation of the Lord is going to happen and you're going to come back to, to, to Israel. But it's going to be 70 years. And he says, so wait patiently for the salvation of the Lord. That is not a good thing for us in our culture. Wait patiently for anything. You know, you have a question and what do you do? You just pull up your phone and you Google it. My son makes a statement, and I don't think it's true, and I go and look, and like, oh, he's right again, you know? <laughs> and we're not good at that, but he's saying, wait patiently, because, because we know his steadfast love, and, and we know that this is going to lead somewhere, and we know that salvation is going to happen. So he said, it's good that one should wait quietly and patiently for the salvation of the Lord. Wait patiently, knowing that salvation would happen. Verse 27, it is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it's laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. Sometimes, he's saying that sometimes it's easier when you're younger and you're stronger and you can endure some of these hard things in a certain way. But the age gives you experience in knowing that God can be faithful through it. But, but listen to what he's saying. He's saying in real time, he goes, sometimes you just have to bear it. And he says, you put your mouth in the dust. He's not saying, hey, I'm waiting on the Lord. And now, hey, all of a sudden, everything's really good. Isn't this awesome? He's going on to say, it is still bad. It is still hard. And I'm waiting and he said, but it's good sometimes to bear the yoke and to sit in silence and experience the lament. And it's good sometimes to just put your head down in the dust and just experience it because it is bad. Because it is hard. And it's okay. But yet, here's the thing, but he says, there may yet be hope. Let him, let him bow down and put his head in the dust while still remembering that there may still be hope and that hope is in the Lord. And then it says in verse 30, let him give his cheek to the one who strikes it and let him be filled with insults. He's saying, you're going to be treated in a certain way when you go off into exile. And you may, and in fact, they will endure strikes and insults because they're take, being taken off into exile. And he says, let him go ahead and strike you. Let him fill you with insults. For the Lord will not cast you off forever, verse 31. But though he caused grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. There it is again. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. He allows grief to happen, and he brings grief into our lives, and he's bringing grief into the life of the people of Judah being taken off into exile. But in all that, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. He allows things to come into our lives and then counters that with the compassion and the steadfastness of his love. He has compassion towards his people in the midst of the pain and suffering, and he has it in abundance. And it's a beautiful picture. It says, though he caused grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. All of this works together again. Steadfastness of his love will produce compassion towards us as we go through these things.
Now, the question is, what do we do with all this in the world that we live in? I want to bring this down now as we wrap up into the real world. Part of what I wanted to do with this message this morning was to give you a framework and a tool, actually a tool that can help us when we're dealing with dark and hard times, and that's the tool of lament. Lamentations is giving us the opportunity to see how God's spirit-inspired prophet, like I said earlier, is dealing with pain and sorrow and suffering. The pain and sorrow and suffering that he's experiencing and was watching others experience. And God gives us a picture as to how this God-inspired, spirit-inspired prophet deals with it. And part of what I was hoping to do today is to give us the tool of lament so that we could walk out of here today and wrestle with what I do with the great emotions that we experience. The powerful emotions of sorrow and grief the emotions of brokenness that we feel living in exile. Remember, we've been talking about living in exile. We're not of this world. We're of the world that God has put in place. We're of heaven and another kingdom. And part of that kingdom is coming into play now, but not all of it. And so that we could walk out of here today going, sometimes I feel great sorrow, great grief, great anxiety, and I live in a broken world and I live in exile, And lamentation will give me permission, if you will, to feel deep emotions and to feel grief and sorrow and anger and doubt. So I want you to know this morning that it is okay to feel those things. Let me say them again. It is okay to feel the deep emotions of grief and sorrow and anger and doubt. And emotions aren't bad, but lamentations doesn't leave us there either. It gives us a real-time picture of how we respond even when the circumstances don't change. This is what he does. He responds to his deep emotion with deep truth. This is really important. He's responding to the deep emotions that he's feeling with deep truth. We see the authentic and powerful combination of real and raw emotions to God combined with the real and powerful truth of God. Both of those things. You see, the pain and suffering and hurt that we experience and we see around us, we should lament about. And we should cry out to God. But the pain and suffering and hurt that we experience and see around us does not need to destroy us. Here's an important truth I feel like I've learned over the years in all the different styles of ministry. I've worked with college students. I've worked as a pastor in churches. I've worked in the domestic violence world. I've worked in the recovery world with guys with drug and alcohol addiction. I've worked in prison. Here's the thing. You cannot go around pain and suffering. You can only go through it. Let me say that again. You cannot go around pain and suffering. You can only go through it. When you try to go around it, you create more pain and suffering because you try to medicate it. Addictions, we use addictions to try to medicate our pain and sorrow. Self-mutilation, eating disorders, controlling behaviors, obsessive behaviors, perfectionism. Sometimes it's just simply we just live with the pain and it just keeps burying us and burying us and we never find relief from any of it. The book of Lamentations gives us another way. We can cry out to God and lament And then we can hold on to God with faith, knowing who he is and what he can do. See, that's the difference. Not that I don't have those emotions, 
that I have those emotions and then I grab onto the deep truths, the steadfast truths that Jeremiah grabbed onto. So how does this fit in the thread as I close this morning? The first 21 verses of Lamentations sound an awful lot like Isaiah 52 and 53. Sound an awful lot about the places where there's a suffering servant who is experiencing almost some of these same things being spoken almost in the same way. And those passages talk about Jesus who is coming to suffer. Jesus himself walks on earth and experiences great suffering and pain, and Jesus himself will lament. Would you listen to Matthew 26? He's getting ready in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's getting ready to go to the cross. And we we know this passage, but sometimes we miss this very important piece of it, I think. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. This is Jesus, the third, one of the members, not the third person, but one of the members of the Trinity, fully God. And this is what he says. My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. All of eternity past, fully God. All in the present, all of eternity future, fully God. And he is standing there with his friends saying, my soul is sorrowful even to death. That's a pretty deep sorrow. And then he turns to the Father. And then it gets even darker, I think. Matthew 27, verse 46, hanging on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are probably two of the darkest, most gut-wrenching words, these two passages, spoken by Jesus ever. Because he is in such great darkness and discouragement and despair, and he laments, and he laments to God, because it wasn't supposed to have to be this way. That the Son of God would have to die. Now, the Bible tells us that from the beginning of of creation, God knew this was going to happen. But it happens because sin and fallenness come into the world. And that's why any of us lament. Because of the result of all of that. But here's the thing. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who endured all that we just read there for the joy that was set before him, enduring the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, Jesus lamented but he trusted that God was going to keep his promises and the joy that was to be before him. It wasn't joy when he's sitting in the garden and saying, I'm sorrowful unto death. It wasn't joy when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was joy when he was raised from the dead and defeated sin and death and was exalted to the right hand of the Father. And he had all of that joy, but he had to endure to get to that. But I think it's a beautiful picture that Jesus laments But in his lament, what I'm trying to say with this is in his lament, he trusted the promises of God. 
what God had promised Jesus, that this is what he was going to do. In the same way Jeremiah is saying that's what got him through, in the same way I'm saying today that this is what will get us through. It won't get us through if I just get better at not lamenting. (laughs) It's when I lament over the right things, but take that deep emotion and then have it combined with the deep truth of what I know about God and putting those two things together. So this is what I'd like to leave you with today. God has given us the tool or the example of lament to help us deal with our pain and suffering. I pray that we're a church that will deal with real, our real pain and suffering and that we would see the tools that God has given us and lament is one of those. He's also given us knowledge of his steadfast and never-ending love and mercy. The demonstration of his love is that Jesus was sent to die for our sins. And so I hope that that's where you will cling on to when you're lamenting the steadfast love and mercies of the Lord. And I want you to know that he's inviting us to seek him as our portion and as our inheritance. And he will be found by us. Jesus has made him known to us. And so I invite you to see him as the most important thing to obtain and to know That his inheritance, him being your inheritance, him being your portion, is greater than everything else. And then on a really practical level, I want to remind you that sometimes you need to lament alone. And I get that. When my mom died, there were times that it was great just to be by myself and just process all of that. But more often, there's a need to lament with the support of others. That if that's the only place I go, then that's when the burden gets heavier and heavier and heavier. I want to be a church where we lament with one another, we support one another. That we're a place that says it's okay to be real and to talk about really, really hard things because you should lament over that. That is really hard and wrong that you've experienced this and that somebody has sinned against you in this way and we're here, let's seek the Lord together. Or maybe there's some burden that something you've done and you need the mercies of the Lord and you're lamenting over that. I, you know how big it is. How big lamenting can be and all the things that we see in the world. We should be there for one another and walking with one another so that we're going through these things together. So it's okay to lament alone for a time. But we also need to be there for one another and be okay. And be okay with saying... I, I saw a situation one time where a family, not here anything to do with Rock Hill, had lost a son. And in a short period of time, people wanted them to be okay. And I remember I was kind of on the outside of the situation going, they shouldn't be okay. Because this was a horrible thing. They should lament. And we should be there lamenting with them. But lamenting with them with the truth, Right? So our emotion is real and deep. The truth of God is real and deep. You bring those things together and we'll lament in ways that bring honor and glory to the Lord. Living in the real world, but seeking the real God to get us through.